Welcome to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And I'm very excited to have another guest for the show. Before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is A Gift from Adversity. And this book that I wrote came out in 2020. The subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. It is available on Amazon. So before I introduce my guest, I just wanted to tell our audience that after overcoming these adversities and publishing my book, a lot of people contacted me and told me about their adversity and I felt compelled to create a platform where people can share their adversities without a stigma and tools that they use to overcome and a gift that came from it. So far, I have introduced many guests from all over the world and today is not an exception. Today we have a guest from Denmark, all the way from Europe, and I'm very grateful to have Trine Hansen. Hi Trine. Hi. Hi, Juri. Thank you so much for having me. It's such important work you're doing, helping people not to feel alone in adversity and show that we can actually find gifts. Thank you very much, Trina. So can you tell our audience your name and then what you do? Mm, yes, I'm Trine and I'm from Denmark. And you said my name very well. It's tricky for most people. So... That is just fine. Um, I am a coach, a coach, an author, and a podcaster. And my specialty is happiness because I believe that when we find a foundation of being happy and aligned with our souls and ourselves, that gives us the strength where we can create a life we love waking up to every day. Thank you. And what is your website and social media that people can follow? Mm -hmm. um, I'm on Facebook. That's just Trine Lehman Henson. Or I have a page called Happy and Aligned. And then my website where, where there's links to everything, really, that is www.trinesplayground.com. I believe that life's meant to be a playground and not an obstacle course. So that's why I created my own little corner my own little playground on the internet. So it's trinesplayground.com. Yes. Where people can visit and then people can find her on Facebook as well. Trine Demon Hansen. Yes. Thank you very much for that. So Trine, where are you in Denmark? I have no idea the geography of Denmark. No, Denmark is just a teeny tiny part that sticks out on top of Germany. So we are easy to miss. We are a tiny country. We have barely 6 million people. Um, and I'm in a small town called Jelling, spelled with a J. Um, and it's actually a historical place. We have a lot of Viking heritage here. So, Wow, interesting. And um, what kind of culture do you guys have in Denmark? 
I have never um, met somebody from Denmark. Oh, oh, um, that's that's a good question because it's difficult to say sometimes when you look at things from the inside, I guess. But we are known to have a society that is very um, equal. We are very fortunate. We have, um, you know, social security and a social safety net, and um, and then we're known for our very changeable, changeable weather, and that some people find us a little bit cold actually because we're not super good at eye contact, and we're not. We we need to know people a little bit before opening up, typically. I think that those are some of the things people like about Denmark, but that it's it's still nice and friendly, but just not. We don't go around hugging everybody or or kissing on the cheeks like Southern European countries. Well, that's interesting, and uh, I know bakery is great too. No, bakeries. Yes. Yeah, yeah, pastries. I think we we're known for, and and bacon. We're famous for our bacon in some parts of the world. Wow, I didn't know that. Mm. Wow, thank you so much for sharing. It's very intriguing to meet somebody from a different country. I'm from Japan originally, but I'm um, living in America. I would say um, Japanese culture is very, very, very thick and then thousands of years history. And then I think mm. um, it's very interesting to live in America as a Japanese person. And uh, it's it's been um, a lot of cultural differences and barriers that I've experienced, but I really think um, all this cultural thing makes our life interesting every day. Yes, I can only imagine. I I have limited experience with either culture, American or Japanese, but they seem quite different to me. And it makes sense that culture is of interest to you, whereas I'm just living in my own culture so I only meet them like on the internet and when I talk to people from around the world I really enjoy that I'm so grateful for technology that I can sit at home and meet people from everywhere yes absolutely and what kind of coaching do you do um that's a good question because I actually try to do things a little bit differently because there is a lot of mainstream coaching that I find to be a little too much like just do it mentality and let's find all your flaws and your weaknesses and then improve them. I like to focus on what's already working. So instead of a coaching session, I call it a spotlight session where we put a spotlight on on what are the strengths and then even just like you find gifts, gifts Gifts in adversity, I look for them in all our flaws and shortcomings. I usually say that we can turn our shortcomings into superpowers. So I like doing it that way instead of improving things or changing them. I like sort of keeping them and just changing the perspective and turning them into something that works for us. That's a very different approach. Yeah, it is. It is. It's what I needed to to find my way. And I find that it resonates with people, even though it's not 
the most common way to look at things, but when you get into it, it people actually like not having to constantly change and be better and, and this whole idea of, of becoming that better version of ourselves. What if we are actually enough just as we are? I like that thought. Yes, I like that too. So let's dive into our first question, which is adversity. Mm -hmm. So can you tell our audience what was your adversity? Oh, Jury, compared to your story, my story seems, it, it, it doesn't seem that hard because on the surface, my life looked okay all the way through. What I was struggling with was stress and depression. So that was more of internal adversity, you can say. I was my own worst enemy for a very long time. And how long did it last? Well, when the the worst part of it, it was um, more than a decade, but around 10 years. Um, but even before then, even as I grew up, I always had this sense that life was kind of unfair because it seemed so easy for some. They were just succeeding in everything they did and doing well at school and sports and everything. For instance, like my brother, who's a superstar at everything he does. And I was always struggling. I was shy and I was awkward and and things felt difficult. So I've always had this burning desire to figure out what what's the difference? Why is life so much easier for someone like my brother than for me? Because we grew up in the same family. So theoretically or technically, we had the same the same foundation, and yet it turned out so differently for us. So you had older brother or younger brother? Yes, older. He's eight years older than me, so always looked up to him. And he was very much like a free spirit and had so much belief in himself and in in the world and that, of course, he could do anything he put his mind to. And he proved that over and over and there was one time when I was probably complaining about how unfair it felt I did that quite a lot unfortunately um, and he said you know what sister the only difference between you and me is that I believe I could do anything so I thought about that a lot and and I believed that he was right I always believed that life was meant to be good I just felt like the exception I felt like life is supposed to be good but I'm somehow broken that I cannot make my life good and that contributed a lot to the way I looked at my life I felt sorry for myself a lot so victim mentality and beating myself up for not being good enough was uh, a big part of growing up and into adulthood as well do you recall like around like what age, like, you know, were you in like middle school, high school? Mm. How, when I, did it start? Um, I don't actually ever remember anything different from that. Uh, of course, there were, there were good times as well, but I 
don't actually remember like, oh, when I was a little kid, I was so happy and cheerful. Um, I think I was always sort of a little bit um, preoccupied or worried about things. And But I do remember as a teenager, I had uh, a pretty, pretty tough time. And I mean, it's always difficult to be a teenager, but I... I might have suffered a little bit more because of my whole disposition towards life that the whole feeling sorry for myself didn't help at all, I I have to admit. Um, but I think the worst, uh, the worst of it was about 10, eight years ago, I think it, um, it felt like sitting at the bottom of a deep, dark, emotional hole. And I had days where I felt like just wanting to claw my skin off because I couldn't, I couldn't stand being in my body. And when I went to bed at night, I wished I didn't have to wake up in the morning. Um, so, so those were the, the darkest times. But, and, and then sort of in between there were ups and downs for, yeah as long as I can remember, really. I don't know. So first of all, let me let me say something that um, everyone's adversity is different. So mm. one, I would never compare my adversity to another's. And then, you know, there's no worse, worst, better in yeah. when it comes to the adversity because these are the feelings and emotions that we endured and then your adversity is as greater than my adversity. And it's just like human beings, like, no, mm. I more and more I interview people for my show. I just unfortunately start to think that adversity is a universal language. And no matter where you are in the world, like I was in Japan when I was going through that adversity and you are in Denmark. And then, yeah. you know, I think, um everyone regardless of social status in culture country race think as a human brain human being like we have those moments that we feel mm -hmm. like worthless and then you know yeah. past. and how did it affect your life um when you were in this kind of victim mentality and then like the past like how how was your day-to-day -day life oh god i i struggled just to get through the day sometimes just um because i i have two kids and they were quite young when my when when i was at my worst oh and and that was the worst part about it as well because when I was stressed, I was sort of short-tempered with them sometimes, you know, if if they wanted to do something, I was like, no, we can't do that because I, I don't have time. I can't, I can't face it. Um, so, so that was kind of tough, but um, it helped a little. I think that I was always able to express to them what was going on. I made sure to tell them that, this is me. I'm. I'm feeling difficult. I'm feeling bad inside. I. I don't have the energy. I wish I did. It's not your fault. But today we can't do 
you know, finger painting all over the living room because that just felt like, oh God. And then all the cleaning and the, I, I simply couldn't face it some days. Um, and, and I think that was probably the worst part that, that my kids had to go through that with me. So I don't know the situation when you are growing up um, in Denmark, but my experience is that when I was in Japan and then going through this sexual abuse and domestic violence, and then I just felt really crazy, alone, no idea what was going on because there was no aid um, in terms of mental health counseling Mm -hmm. or such a stigma. I didn't even know that I was sexually abused i did not even know i had PTSD until i was 21 22 when you're in the middle of um mass to just don't have the right language how how did people around you when you maybe shared like react or did they educate you what was going on Mm, that's actually a really good question and i think you're right that we tend to while we're in it, especially as children, we don't know that it's supposed to be different. We we don't know anything else. And and the time was different as well. Um, so I wasn't aware that things were that bad. And and I guess sometimes they weren't. It was it was this feeling of being different and and weird and alone. Um, but I always thought that, you know, my family didn't have visible issues. There was no drinking. There was no violence. There was, um, my dad was away a lot and and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And she was very sort of worried and anxious all the time. Later, she was diagnosed with anxiety. But at the time, people just thought that she was a little high-strung and a little bit sort of... Um, so if you were looking at our family, you wouldn't probably have spotted that there was anything off. It was it was kind of subtle dysfunctions that um, that took me a long time to actually realize because I was telling myself that I had a great childhood, I was lucky, and that I shouldn't be having any issues. So again, I I turned it back to myself that it, it had to be me that was something wrong with um, but as I've grown up I and look back I realized that my mom with her anxiety and my dad away all the time she and I got pretty close and she shared a lot of her worries with me which I was probably too young to deal with and and my brother he was such a free spirit and and so he was out with friends all the time so a lot of the time it was me and my mom and I think I grew up feeling kind of responsible for her but you know not like sometimes you hear about uh, kids growing up with alcoholic parents where they actually physically have to take care of them it wasn't like that so no one noticed and I wasn't aware. People just thought that I was a a nice, quiet girl. I was probably very easy on my teachers most of the time because I wasn't making a big fuss. 
they just thought that I had, you know, low self-esteem and I was a bit shy and that was nothing they could do about that. So, yeah, there's nothing really, it, it wasn't spoken about. Yeah, it's just um, as we grow and especially after, you know, the pandemic, um, I feel everybody went through the depression and isolation. Mm -hmm. And then now, finally, we are starting to talk a little bit less stigma about mental health. Mm -hmm. Like what you said, especially when outside, like looking from objective view, your family doesn't seem like having any problems. And especially when it comes to the depression or stress, like people just don't see it. And then you hide it because to, you know, work, go to work, whatever. So I would say, you know, those masking and, you know, the pressure to be okay makes it worse than it is. Yes, yes, I, I agree that having to pretend to be normal and and smile and and be happy that was hard work for most of the time and and i i like to think that as you say that maybe some good has come from the pandemic and i think in general we are moving towards uh, better times for our kids because so many of us in our generation, we are starting to, you know, look inwards and deal with these things that come up. And I believe that the more we do that, the more we will be able to firstly see it in our kids if they are struggling. And then we will have better tools to deal with it than our parents did because they weren't taught about mental health issues. And so they were doing the best they could I, I totally believe that. So I do think we are moving towards a future where there will be less stigmata because there's more awareness. I hope so, at least. Yes, and especially um, some of the countries that um, say Japan, like, you know, we just started to talk about like a Me Too movement or mm -hmm. Some of the Middle Eastern country where women's rights are not really there, or maybe some of the countries in Africa, like where men are like so powerful and dominant. Yeah. So then that comes extra, you know, stress and then social pressure. How is it in Denmark? Do you have any gender gender inequality issues? I think we are very fortunate in Denmark in many ways because we have had a couple of waves of the Me Too movement and and we don't have equal pay and there are still a lot of things to work on. But And Denmark's always been seen as quite liberated, I think, and, and free when it comes to, to gender. And I think we were the first country to... Um, where, you know, same-sex marriages, not in church, I think that was uh, the Netherlands, but but to be registered as legal partners, I think we were the first to do that. So in that sense, we are 
open-minded, I think. And we're probably also doing reasonably well when it comes to mental health. And there are resources available to some degree, at least. Um, but still, it is a, an invisible illness in a way. So, yeah, the tricky part is always to to see that it's there or to admit that it's there and then figure out how to get some help. But um, I think I think we're fortunate in many ways here. And I'm curious in Denmark, do you have access to like um, therapists, free care? Um, not free. We can, if we go to our doctor, they will, you know, um, give us a referral and then we have to, to pay some of it, but we do get help, which is, which is very nice. And um, my daughter has an Asperger's diagnosis that she got a couple of years ago just before she turned 17 and and that was that was free for her she was um her whole diagnosis process that was that was actually her school that finally sort of said okay we need someone to look at this because i i was in communication with the school and and she was showing signs of of stress was my first um thought about it and also I don't know if you're familiar with the term highly sensitive people but that's that's how I feel and I thought that counted for her as well but it wasn't quite the same and then she started showing signs of social anxiety and then the school had a, a counselor they could call in to do an assessment and and he said mm, I think we need this checked out so he referred her to the diagnosis process and then she went through the system and got her diagnosis and all that was for free which is probably a big thing for compared to many other countries yes absolutely Yes. So, Trina, thank you so much for sharing your adversity. I just want to let you know there are two points in my life, two, uh, two times I have clearly, like, I clearly remember. Like, one, I wrote um, on my book, A Gift of Mercy, because um, there was a man uh, when I was volunteering uh, at disabled um, people camp where I was feeding this man who was born wheelchair bound. And mm -hmm. then I meeting him and having conversation and then it took him a very long time but he told me that last month my mom died and then you know he it was, it was very hard for him and the next thing he said it was my fault and that mm -hmm. took like minutes and it really broke my heart and but in a way that basically realized that um this was when i was 17 and when I went through these adversities. I had so much like puzzles in my life that I had no idea what was going on. But at the same time, I saw myself since I have five senses and I can see and smell, move. I would never complain until I really try, mm -hmm. try to fail. So that's been my philosophy. And then uh, it's not in my book, but it was actually a boyfriend uh, when I was 19 that he told me I'm so negative. I'm like, mm -hmm. really, the way that I look, the world is 
half the cup is half the cup of water is not enough <laughs> and then he's like do you have to change your mentality even if you have half cup of water you should be very grateful and humble and if you don't take that positive approach everything would um look really really bad for us and then he was very right and then i was really because of the abuse and everything i didn't even have much help um mm. to figure out what was going on but despite that he really cared about me and then he really pointed that i'm looking everything is against me and everything is awful so yeah. at some point you know somebody had e like and said that or you know experienced that and then i kind of shifted so let's talk about the tools um you to overcome the stress and then depression um i like this part of the question because everybody um that i interviewed so far have different opinions mm-hmm. and different tools that they used and what i like about um doing this podcast is that everyone from any part of the world who had experienced adversity they had struggled just like me mm-hmm. and they had tried many modality to overcome adversities and yes. i really appreciate that because typically when people do not go through adversity they will just say oh just a therapist and sometimes <laughs> the therapist and sometimes even if you get the therapist you don't know if that person connect can connect with you so mm-hmm. what what were the tools that you used to overcome this um depression and stress yeah yes i think this is a good part as well um and fortunately this is where i'm spending my time now because even talking about the worst times i can i can even feel how that's making me you know thoughtful and quiet and and it's not bringing me down as such but it's diff- difficult to to think that that was my reality for so long now that i know what life can can be like and and for me i wish there was one like moment where everything just made sense you know like a flash of lightning some people seem to have these stories where they woke up one morning and they just knew they had to change or or you had a boyfriend who pointed it out so clearly to you um i think if i have to point to one thing that changed a lot for me was when i finally gave up on all the struggle because as you said we we try everything to feel better once we realize that that there's something more out there that that we do need to change so i was reading all the self-help books and i also saw therapists and psychologists and and most of them i didn't really connect with some helped a little bit but that's a long time ago that i kind of stopped trying that so it was self-help books and you know meditation techniques and going for long walks in nature and breathing exercises journaling and and all these things and sometimes i when i found a book i was like oh yes yes this this is good this is good so i was i was all in i was trying this technique and really holding on the best i could and then 
it only lasted so long and then I sort of fell back into my hole. So at some point, oh yes, and then there was, the, I read a book, I don't remember the title, but I came to a statement that said, happiness is a choice. And I was like, seriously, if it was that easy, we would all just choose to be happy. I was like, I actually got kind of angry and I wanted to throw the book out the window, but I knew there was something to it. So I kept coming back to it, but at the time it was just too difficult. So it wasn't until I, I quit all that chasing things externally. I was trying to live up to this advice and to this technique and to this list of things to do if you want to be spiritual or enlightened. So for a while, I was actually sort of, I was kind of sulking because I had done everything. I did everything all the, the books said and it wasn't working. So I felt kind of sorry for myself. And then I got annoyed and frustrated enough to quit that chase. And by doing that, that actually freed up some energy and some space, I guess, internally because it was like returning to myself because I was out of options I had tried this way and that way and that way and that way I had tried everything and none of it worked so the only thing left that I hadn't tried <laughs> was to you know return and and feel what's right for me what do I actually want to do so that was that was completely new and foreign to me but that's what shifted things so is there any other tools that you used you kind of mentioned like a breathing stuff too but is there anything that you can share with your with our audience about the tools a little bit more well after this giving up the struggle part that helped a lot in itself but the next step i took was because this the, the new space that had opened up the new outlook I had on life and myself that allowed me to to look back and see that all these sides of myself that had made it so hard for me to fit in to the real world and to to have a, a normal job and these things that was the the highly sensitive part of me that I always, you know, picked up on other people's emotions more easily. And I was aware of, of my surroundings to a degree that was overwhelming. So I was easily tired. But when I started looking at things differently, I noticed how there's gifts in that as well. And that was such an eye opener that I was like, huh. I always thought that this part of me was the biggest liability, that this was the reason that my life was hard. But realizing that it was also actually some of my best qualities, it was what made me have this understanding of other people and sense of what was going on and being able to connect the dots and understand why they were reacting the way they were. Then I started looking at huh, what else could I have been looking at as a problem that might actually turn out to be a gift? So that was that was probably 
and is still my most favorite tool because that's where life becomes fun. And I mean, like you, you have written your book and now you're doing this podcast. So you are helping a lot of people by sharing the, not just the stories of your guests, but people listening, understanding, oh my God, I'm not alone in this. And there is a way out. And maybe you wouldn't have gotten here without your story. And I certainly wouldn't have gotten here without my story. So, so yes, flipping things around and looking for the gifts. That has been my favorite tool. Absolutely. Yes. And I would say, Trina, like when we were talking about generation and the generational, like say, um, my generation in Japan, absolutely back in the 80s, we had no mental health talk, nothing, therapy, mm -hmm. like no understanding. But our generation, like my kid's generation, there's mental health you know, guidance counselor, there's mental health talked about. Um, how do you think it's shifting and how do you think it's helping uh, for this depression and stress and all this, um, you know, mm -hmm. rain puzzle? I don't think it's shifting fast enough, not as fast as I would like it to, but... Mm, I think shifts are happening. And, and as I said, that there's people like you and I and a lot of others who've been through these things ourselves who are now more aware as parents. And that will help the next generations grow up more whole, I believe, and more healthy because they're able to speak about it. And I think that's maybe the biggest part we can play as individuals. That is to be open about it and speak up and say, hey, I've suffered from stress and depression, but I got through it to, to give this hope. And, and by being vulnerable and by being ourselves, we create a space where it's safe for others to admit if there's something that doesn't feel good in their life. And also, I think um, sometimes there's talk about that there are so many more kids now with various diagnoses that... Mm, that they didn't used to be. And I think that's because society puts more pressure on our kids today than when we grew up. I mean, social media and, and all that, growing up with that alone, I think could, could give most people anxiety and, and a feeling of, you know, comparing ourselves and stress and stuff. But I actually think that some of these kids that are born with, various sort of neurodivergent personalities or whatever that they are going to be front runners in changing society because a lot of us you know we have been people pleasers and we have been doing our best to fit in and all that but some of these kids they cannot be wrangled into those little boxes that we're expected to fit into so by being themselves and us as parents supporting them in being themselves, society will simply have to change because at some point there won't be anyone left to fit into those worker bee boxes that that they would kind of like us to to be yeah. with me. And I, I totally agree with you. And then I feel like when it's open cut, like we know how to put ointment or band-aid or when mm -hmm. you have 
or we know how to treat like Tylenol, like some fever medication, reduce medication. But when it comes to emotional injury and mental health issues that we don't know, we are not equipped enough. We don't have way too much tools. So I have this chart of coping skills, like, you know, anything, you know, take, you know, take a nap, video, mm-hmm. breathing, yoga. And then I think I have it on my cabinet that uh, one of the clinician gave um and I like it because it's almost like okay as a parent especially like you are equipped and equipped and prepared to take care of your children when they get mm-hmm. sick but then yes. when people or children also get mentally sick and then mentally like challenged like you know mental health mm-hmm. we are not equipped because there's not so much talk about it. Yes. But I think we are moving in the right direction at least, even even though there's still a lot of work to be done. But you're right. It would be it would be really great, wouldn't it, if we had like the the first aid kid and then we had the toolbox for emotional emergencies. Yes. Where, yeah. Yes. Yeah, my daughter said, Mama, if you're nervous, she's five years old. And her guidance counselor told her, so breathe one. Like, so he, she went up, like, you know, just tracing the thumb. And it goes, mm-hmm. and breathe in and breathe out. Yeah. So she did it five times. And then it was really cute. And then she showed me how to do that breathing technique using the fingers. And, mm-hmm. you know, things that tools that even five years old can learn to basically shift the brain you know that we i feel like we can't get out of it in fact one of the guests who suffered with um substance abuse that when he when his heart stopped and then he when he Mm. went to halfway like recovery home then he he learned so much techniques to not get panic attack or to not rely on the substance where yeah. now he starts to feel the panic attack he can use all these tools that he learned and come out of it in like 10 minutes instead of like a month three months a year of depression yes. so i think it really is um important that we all know these skills Absolutely. And I was talking to a guest on my podcast from Italy, and she shared that her son, who's I think six or eight years old, he is learning empathy in school. Isn't that amazing? They they had that as a theme, learning about understanding how other people are feeling and, and how to interact in a kind way. I mean, it's a little bit sad maybe that it has to be taught, but I think it's it's so good that there's focus on how important it is I think, to learn these skills. Yes, and I think, you know, we as a human being, like, you know, we are social animals and we, we really uh, know how to take care of ourselves and each others. But when we are given proper terms in words and logics what we are doing and intentionally doing it i think it makes it more powerful and meaningful and it's mm-hmm. validate 
you know, the actions that you're talking about, like empathy, we do that, but we just don't know, like, no, we are intentionally empathetic about the situation. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes, I, I think you're right that we are, that it's built into us, that it's natural for us to have these, to be empathetic and to be kind to each other. And, and we are social, but I think sometimes our society creates an environment where it's difficult to keep these um, skills alive. Maybe some some grow up, you know, learning to shut those sides down, especially if they're too sensitive, because then it just becomes annoying for parents and teachers if you're always fussy because you sense what's going on for everybody. Um, so, so yeah, I hope we can create an environment and a future where there's space again for it to be a natural human trait. Yes, absolutely. Well, Trina, I want to shift to our last question, which is a gift that came from adversity. So how do you say a gift that came from your adversity? Oh, I mean... Just, just experiencing the difference from waking up and feeling, you know, happy to be alive. Sometimes I'm like, mm, I love getting to wake up and, and have another day. So that is probably the biggest gift. How, yes, the, the, the huge difference and also the understanding I have gotten along the way, because as I started out telling you that I have always had this question about what makes life seem easier for some people than others. And on my way through all these years of stress and depression and all the self-help books I read and all the spiritual teachings I, I digested, I have gotten a deeper understanding of what it means to be human and what makes us who we are and what makes us react the way we do. So it has really deepened my understanding and my um, sort of sense of the overall picture and how to connect the dots. And sometimes I say that if, if it was that decade or even a lifetime of stress and depression, that was what it took to teach me, if you like, what I needed to know to get to here. I would do it all over again in a heartbeat if I had to, because it has been so worth it for me. Well, thank you so much for sharing that beautiful answer. Um, why um, we are closing our podcast interview, but I would like Trina, to have the last word for our audience. So what is your last word? And also, after you do the English version, if you can do it in your language, Danish, that would be awesome. <laughs> okay, thank you. Well, I really want people to know that if I can do this, everybody can. And that's my work today helping people to find this foundation. I call it happy and aligned. And I have a five day event soon where 
Because when we have this stability in ourselves, this trust in life, that life is good, and that we can turn everything around to be a part of who we're meant to be, then life can't really get to us. Um, so very short Danish. Tilværelsen er på vores side. Livet er ment til at være godt, og vi er her for at nyde det. Too. That was beautiful. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming to the podcast today at Giftman University. And thank you so much for sharing not only your life story, but the tools and the gift that came from it. Thank you so much for creating this space where it felt safe to share. Thank you for a very nice conversation. Absolutely. Well, thank you everyone for listening to Giftman University. I have wonderful guests coming in April and in May, so stay tuned. Good night.